Hola amigos y familia de la iglesia, lo hace bien mi corazón estar contigo hoy. Hello, friends and church family. It does my heart good to be with you today. Uh, like most Californians, I was raised with a lot of Spanish around me. Spanish is not my native tongue. English is my native tongue. But I was able to study some Spanish. So I took four years in school, and that helped. But really what took uh, my Spanish speaking to another level was I started working in a restaurant I had some Mexican friends there, and they really like started sharpening up my Spanish skills, you know? And so I was studying it, I was using it, I was surrounded by people who were speaking it, and I grew in my Spanish-speaking skills. But over time, I stopped studying it, and I stopped using it, and stopped speaking it, and you know the classic rule, right? Use it or lose it. And so it's easy just to default back to my native tongue which is English. Some of you have learned a language, or maybe you're from another country, or you have deep ethnic roots here, and uh, you, you are fluent in some other languages, and uh, you understand these principles. Here's the thing. Our default language, our native tongue, spiritually, in the flesh, is sin. It's, immor it's, 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 uh, it's immorality. That's what our native language is in the flesh. And what that means is that, and it's easy to remember what immorality is about, because what's the letter that starts the word immorality? It's I. It begins with I. All immorality starts with I, if you feel me, all right? We become self-pleasers. It's what do I want? What do I deserve? What do I think is best for me? And what happens is eventually that can take you down a path where you're finding yourself swimming in a pool of immorality. But immorality is not the language, if you will, that God designed us to speak. It's not the language he wants us to speak. And it's not the language he's empowered us to speak. The Lord wants us to learn and to be fluent in purity. He wants us to exchange the language of immorality to where we exclusively become fluent and speak holiness. And so in a world that's very fluent in immorality, do you know how to speak the language of purity, of holiness? In order to do so, just like all the other languages, you've got to study. You've got to study holiness in the word of God. You've got to pursue holiness. You've got to practice holiness. And you've got to be around others. You know, when you're around others who are speaking the same language, right? When you're around others who are pursuing purity and holiness, then you will start to become more fluent in those languages. If not, you'll lose the ability to speak holiness and revert back to the flesh's native tongue, which is immorality. Now, we were designed by God to speak purity. It's actually our native tongue, if you will. It was given by God. It was made available through Jesus Christ. And so when we learn to speak purity and holiness, it will be very pleasing to God and he gave us a capacity for holiness, a great capacity. And as we start to speak that language, if you will, it also becomes very pleasing to us. Because whenever we embrace God's best, it's always going to be more pleasing to us than what the world has to offer. And so as we encourage, uh, as we continue in this encouraged series through 1 Thessalonians, uh, we will see today how God has called us to be holy and how one of the greatest indicators of where we're at in our own personal holiness and purity is going to be our sex ethic. 
how we think about, and how we behave sexually is a major indication of where we are in our relationship with God and in our desire to live pleasing to God. And so I just came back from a couple weeks off, a little bit of time on vacation, was serving with uh, one of our missions teams on short-term mission. And I looked at the teaching schedule a while back and went, I get to come back from being off. I get to talk about sex and then the end times and the return of Christ. Yes, you know, (laughs) woo. And so uh, that's what the next few weeks will hold. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we can be together. God, I thank you for those who are viewing online right now, whether they're in a hospital or on vacation or just homesick. God, thank you that they're with us and pray that you give them something special today. Lord, thank you for our guests today. God, men and women who maybe have stepped foot in church in years or just, God, aren't walking with you or don't know you or curious about you. Father, would you meet them in a place where they have needs today? And Lord, as we all open up your word today and look at this topic, Lord, God, help us to do it in a way that we're not ashamed. Lord, that we're excited to learn about what you have to say and to teach us. Lord, I pray that we're healing needs to happen because of the nature of this content. Lord, that you do a great work of healing. And Father, where conviction needs to happen, that you would bring conviction where that needs to take place. So Father, sift us, change us, transform us because we're in your word today. We ask in the name of Jesus. We all said today, amen. Hey, open up your Bibles and join me in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, 1 through 8. If you're a guest today, we're a Bible teaching church. We believe one of the greatest things we can do is get you in the Bible. We're not here to tell you what to believe. We're just here to unpack what God has given us. And so uh, all of you, I'm counting on you to have a Bible or use a Bible application on your device. If you find yourself here today, you actually don't own a Bible. Uh, We want to give you one as a gift. So stop by the information center on the way out. We'll put a Bible in your hands as a gift. Thanks for being here. But what we're going to do is we're going to just read through these eight verses. And we're going to occasionally stop and teach on a couple crucial words or phrases that will help us see that a life dedicated to sexual purity is pleasing to God and ultimately pleasing to us. So let's start with verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. We've got the Apostle Paul. He is writing under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit to a group of Christians in ancient Thessalonica, a city in in, in Macedonia. And uh, these people have been uh, walking in their faith for about a year, and he's, he's encouraging them. With, with new instruction, he's encouraging them with what he's heard about them and their positive reputation. And so he's continuing to give them more instructions. He's continuing to give them more encouragement. But let's look at some of these key words in just these couple verses. He said, finally then, brothers. We've got to remember, this was written to Christians. Now, it applies to all of us, but obviously it's going to be lived out by those who are followers of Christ. He says, brothers, meaning Christians. So they're not unbelievers. And I think when we think about our faith, and even like in our own sex ethic and all those things, uh, this, this is not something that Christians can impose on those who don't know the Lord. You, you can't put a Christian ethic on someone who's not a Christian. And so we know that they might be missing out on God's best. We desire them to come to know the Lord and, and, and experience God's love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. But we just have to remember these instructions are for believers, And uh, it's not to be imposed or forced upon those who don't know Christ. He also says here that they received. You know, he was giving instructions. And so here's this young community of Christian believers who welcomed and received the instructions that God was giving through his word and the leaders. 
So they didn't reject it. They didn't ignore it. And so I, uh, my prayer is that today, as we look at God's word, uh, we receive what God has for us. We don't reject it. We don't ignore it. We look to apply it. Also, he says here, and I think this is the, the, the most significant factor, and I hope this rings loud and clear throughout our whole time today, that the motive was to walk and to please God. Like he's calling them to holiness, to, to learn to speak fluently holiness out of a motivation to, to love and please God. And so God gives us instructions on how to walk. That means how to live, how to conduct our life. And it, we're supposed to be doing it motivated by wanting just to please the one who made us. So God made us. He loves us. Uh, we're going to want to please him with our lives. And he says, just as you're doing this is an action word, right? They didn't just receive information. They turned it into action. He says, you're doing it. You're, you're, you're out there um, walking in your faith and applying these things that we're talking about. So I want to encourage you to do so more and more. Continue to grow. Continue to mature. And so he really just tees up the content he's about to deliver with some encouragement. But it's for believers who are willing to receive and who are active and wanting to please God and to do so more and more and more. And so may those things be true of us as we move forward. Now, uh, as we re read through the next set of verses, what I really like about this is it can almost read like a dialogue. It's almost like God gave the Apostle Paul uh, the ability to field and anticipate some questions that would come with what he was about to say. And so you can sort of envision what this would look like if it was a dialogue. So let me just insert some of that dialogue as we uh, go through the next set of verses. So look again at verse two. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And you can almost hear the Thessalonians saying, yes, we do, but uh, can you repeat them? <laughs> verse three, he says, well, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And you can hear them saying, great. Uh, how do we do that? <laughs> well, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And you can hear them going, uh, okay, good to know. How do we do that? <laughs> well, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And you can hear them saying, oh, sounds good. Well, what does that look like? <laughs> well, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And you can hear them saying, okay, but isn't this whole like sex thing kind of private and a personal matter? Like, does God really care? Verse 6. Well, no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Oh no, this is a very uh, public awareness thing and God does have an opinion. Verse seven, or, or, or after that, you can almost hear them saying, wow, that's pretty serious. This is a big deal to God. And then verse seven's a reminder, for God has called, uh, has not called us for impurity, but in, what's the word? Holiness. And you can hear them saying, well, that's a pretty high bar, Paul, but isn't this just your opinion? Aren't you just being a little bit kind of a holier-than-thou guy? And then verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And you can almost hear them say, well, since you put it that way, okay. <laughs> you know? And so it raises a dialogue as he's unfolding a call to purity, to holiness. I want you to become fluent in how to speak purity and holiness because you want to please God. And here's the thing. When we live to please God, in the end, it's always going to be pleasing to us ultimately. And so Paul is encouraging and affirming this community of Christians. He's saying, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Now, you got to understand a little bit about the Thessalonians. The, this church, again, it's only about a year old or so. It, it's made up of Jewish people who were converted to the Christian faith through the preaching of the gospel. And a heavy amount of people in this church came out of a Greek or Roman background. 
And so when you look at the Greco-Roman culture, you look at a Greco-Roman culture that was saturated with sexual immorality. I mean, we look at some of the discouraging statistics and some of the discouraging behaviors that we see in this world today, and we go, man, this, this world's a mess. And, and we think somehow back in the ancient times, it just wasn't you know, messy. Oh my goodness, it was a mess then too. Like we're reading from a book that's like 2,000 years old, right? And, and we're reading about things that apply to our life today. And so if you think about Thessalonica, this you know, town of about 100,000 people back at a major crossroads of you know, the trade route, uh, this was a place that had a very eclectic makeup. And of course, there were different beliefs of all kind, but that Greco-Roman mindset was very lascivious, man. They, they were very loose. There was a lot of confusion about sexual immorality and marriage and family. And so there was a great license to be immoral. And you can have extramarital sex. Hey, if you've got slaves and servants, you can use them for sex. Um, you know, homosexuality is fine. All that, like, whatever makes you happy sexually, go do it. Does that sound a little familiar? So this isn't new. This isn't new. And on top of that, if you think it's bad now, at least we don't have temple prostitutes. Because in Thessalonica, they had a huge uh, amount of people that, you know, they came out of an Egyptian background or a Greek background or a Roman background. And so they had temples with fertility goddesses, with temple prostitutes. And so when they would go to worship, they would go and participate in sexual activities with the temple prostitutes who were available to anybody at any time. And so this is the, the background. So imagine, you're the Apostle Paul. You're trying to mentor this church spiritually. You know what kind of background they came out of. Guess what? They grew up in an environment that was fluent in immorality, fluent in sexual impurity. And he's saying, God's calling you to be different than what you were raised in. He wants to teach you a new language. He wants to teach you holiness. He wants to teach you purity. He, he wants to teach you something different than you saw as you were bring, uh, being brought up in this context that you're so familiar with. And this is the heart behind the apostle. And I love it. It just extends to us today. It wasn't just for them. It also extends to us today. And all this pursuit of purity, all this talk of holiness was evidence of God's work of sanctification in the life of those believers and, and ties into the sanctification of our life. Now, look at verse 3 again. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So many people want to know, like, well, what God, what's God's will for my life? You hear that question a lot. What's God's will? And when we say that, we usually mean, you know, what kind of job does God want me to have? Where does he want me to go to school? Who does he want me to marry? You know, where does he want me to work? Where does he want me to live? Like, that, those are the questions we tend to do because we think very self-centeredly. But when we back out, we think, okay, what, what's God's will? God's saying here, oh, you want to know part of my will? Part of my will for you is your sanctification. Your sanctification. And some of you go, what is sanctification? Like, that's a big word. And here's what sanctification means. In the Greek, it's the word hagiosmas. It means to set apart, consecrated, to make holy, separated for sacred use. Sanctification is a progressive, it's not instant, okay? It's a progressive work of God that makes us more and more like Jesus. And lets sin have less and less of a hold on us. Part of God's will for us is to make us holier, more like him, more pleasing to him. And so because of God's sanctifying work, once we've truly been saved by Christ, we will break out of a lot of the habitual patterns of sin that dominate our life. And there will be a progressive and gradual transformation in our lives, not sinless, but we'll become uh, people who sin less 
And that includes sexuality. And so a lot of us should breathe a big sigh of relief because when you come to faith in Christ, when you, when you come to that moment and realize, okay, there's a God who made me and loves me. Uh, my sin, my dirtiness is, is, repels him. But he fixed the problem by coming down in person, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died on the cross. He rose from the grave and then offers you know, relationship, offers forgiveness, offers grace. When you come to that point, you, you become justified, you positionally are made right with God, and then he starts the sanctified work in you. He says, I'm going to work on you, and the work's never done until eternity. And eternity is when we're glorified. That's the classic theological terms, you know, uh, we've got justified, sanctified, and glorified. And so he's not, he's not done sanctifying us until we see him face to face. And so a lot of us can give a sigh of relief because there's those things in our life that we just, we're thinking, man, why am I still struggling with this, Right? Why is this still an issue with my life? Why do I still battle this battle? Because God's still sanctifying you. God's still sanctifying you. We're still a work in progress, and so don't get discouraged. But of all the areas of our life, our work ethic, how we parent, how we treat our friends, and all those things, this one area that's being talked about in the text is one of the top shelf areas of sanctifying work in our lives, our sexuality. How we think about sex, our values around sex, our activities around sex, our behavior, all those things greatly reflect where we're at in our sanctifying process in the Lord. And what I love about sanctification is that sanctification is not imposed on us by God. God's not saying, I'm going to sanctify you and you have nothing, you know, you can't do anything about it. He said, no, I'm inviting you into this process now and I want you to cooperate with me. And the more you cooperate, the more fluent you'll become. And the less you cooperate, it's going to be a long journey. <laughs> and so we want to cooperate. He invites us to cooperate in his sanctifying work. God does the sanctifying. We just do the obeying. Can I just say that again? It's God who does the sanctifying. We don't sanctify anything. We just learn to obey and surrender and yield to God's sanctifying work. And so he's given us instructions. He's given us the guide map in his word about how to do that better. And so to live holy sexually is to be people who want to please God with our bodies, with our sexual expression. And it doesn't matter what age of life we're in, what stage of life we're in, whether you're single or married or young or old. Like God wants us to learn how to be uh, motivated by pleasing, being pleasing to him in this area of sex and lives. And so we have to understand that sexual desire is normal. It's God-given. It's the world and the flesh that have distorted it. And so as Christians, we should never be ashamed or embarrassed to talk about sex. I think that's where the church went wrong years ago. It's like, oh, we can't talk about that. That's hush-hush. It's like, well, God talks about it plenty in his word. <laughs> and, and we know the one who made this. And so we can proclaim his gift of goodness to the world. It's the world and the flesh. It's the immorality that distorts it. I really like what uh, a man who we've actually had here years ago said. His name is Dan Allender. He's a Christian counselor and author. He wrote a book called The Intimate Mystery. I just love how he articulated this. He said, the most crucial theological truth about sexuality is that God loves sex and evil hates it. God made us sexual and he glories in his plan for our union and joy. Evil hates what God loves and it has found that more harm can be done through sex than perhaps any other means. Often the chief battleground for the human soul is the terrain of sexuality. Is that not true? 
And some of you have been wounded by this area. I know that right now, even bringing this topic up, it brings back deep wounds for some of you. Some of it's like, oh man, I wish I could go hide in a corner because maybe you're not in a place where you're really obeying God right now. We need to, we need to meet on terms here and say, what does God have to say about this? Now, contrary to what many people might think, Christians aren't against sex. We're actually for sex. We like our sex very much, thank you, all right? As long as it's not sinful sex. As long as it's not sinful sex, we find joy in sexual expressions that are ordained and endorsed and designed by God as he clearly, without ambiguity, instructs us in his word. Everything outside of God's design for sex is considered by him to be sexual immorality. And so God said, I've created, I've designed it, I know what it is, I'm going to tell you what it is, and then anything outside of that is not my design and it's going to hurt you and it's not pleasing to me. And this is where we don't have to look any further than the words of Jesus to go, well, what is God's design for sexuality? All right. And in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24. And he's being asked about relationships and marriage and all this stuff. And here's what he said. He said, have you not read, referring back to Genesis 2.24, that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And God gives some key indicators about how he's designed sex to be. And so uh, this is new to me. Uh, um, this is a new uh, fun way I'm exploring technology. So if you guys want to hang with me here, I am going to draw a picture. All right. And so basically what God has said, he's, he's saying here, this is what I've designed. This, this is my design for sex. Okay. And so we look at God's design. Okay. This thing's not exactly quick, but it's fun. Okay. And saying, I've designed sex to operate this way, and if you obey this, here's what it's going to do it's going to make me happy, and it's going to make you happy. <laughs> and then he's really clear. He says, But anything outside of that? Now, when we think about what's outside of this, and by the way, the word sexual immorality is the word porneia. Porneia literally means that anything outside of a heterosexual marriage between man and woman is not God's design. It's something that God doesn't approve of. And so when we find ourselves outside here, we have to say, God, how do you want me to get back to your understanding of your design? Because that's what you have for me. That's what you've made. And when I operate outside of your design, um, here's what's going to happen. When we operate outside of God's design, we know it's going to make us unhappy. Okay? In fact, if you're not careful outside of God's design, it can actually make you uh, dead. <laughs> and so we have to be very careful with this. And so if we're talking about, you know, all these things out here can be polygamy, it can be incest, it can be homosexuality, it can be um, pornography, it can be all these things that God has in design. And so here's the deal. The world says, oh, no, that's, a, that's the fun place. The world says, that's fun for you. Do what you want. But what the world doesn't tell you is it comes with a price tag. That later, after you've exhausted doing all that you want, you're battered, you're beat down, and you're broken, and you're discouraged, and you're in pain, and you want to know why. It's because you didn't do it according to God's design. And so what we have to do is we have to fight to get back to an understanding and obedience to God's design. That's what God's call for us is. And so um, 
uh, just a little way to try to capture that and as we're talking about this. Now, I want you to get, look again at verses 4 and 5, 1 Thessalonians 4. So what kind of instructions do we have to try to pursue this? He says that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor. We're responsible to try to be people of self-control and discipline with the vessel that God's given us. And not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is huge. He's saying inside the circle, you should find people who know God. And if you know God, then you love God. And if you love God, you're going to want to do what is pleasing to him. Outside the circle, you should find people who don't know God. And because they don't know God, they don't love God, and they have no interest in doing what's pleasing to him. But where's the pain? When you see people outside the circle who say they love God, but they're not doing things inside the circle. And so a lot of you are going, no time out here. I know people who, who profess Christian faith, who definitely are wrapped up in sexual immorality. I think we need to be reminded, knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. And so you, you've got spiritual leaders, you've got people who profess you know, faith that they say they know God, they might know a lot about God, but when you look at their life, sometimes you need to back up and go, man, you might know a lot about God, but from what I see in your life, I'm not even sure you know God, because I can't even tell if you love God. Because when you love God, you hate your sin, right? The more we grow in our love for God, the more we hate our sin. But that also means that if we start to grow in love for our sin and we protect our sin and we defend our sin and we justify our sin, then if we love our sin, then perhaps maybe we hate God because we don't want to obey him and we don't want to subject ourselves to what he's designed. And so it puts us in a place where we have to ask hard questions because we want God to endorse what makes us happy. We want God to endorse what pleases us. And God's going, no, no, no. I want you to submit yourself to what pleases me. And in return, you know what you'll find? You'll actually be a lot happier too. This is the way it works with the Lord. And so God has called us, as verse 7 says, God's called us uh, not for impurity, but in holiness. And here's the reality. We all know that we mess up, right? We all mess up. We're all a mess. But knowing God and loving God will lead us to answer his call to holiness. And this is where we have to come back again to the motivation. Following Jesus is not about adhering to a list of do's and don'ts. Oh, I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do this, and I should do this. That's not what it means to follow Christ. It means I love God. And out of my desire to please him, I, I choose not to do these things. I mean, just apply that to any other relationship. If I came home to my wife today and I just said, honey, you know, I'm not supposed to cheat on you, so I'm just not going to because I'm not supposed to. Yeah, that sounds really loving. That's probably going to enter into a very long, uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> I have no interest in cheating on my wife because I love her. I want to do what's pleasing to her. I want to submit myself to the Lord in such a way that it benefits her. It's not because I'm not supposed to. It's not, I'm not trying to stay faithful because I'm supposed to. It's because I want to. Because I long to out of my desire. It's the same thing in our lives with the Lord. We, we don't say no to certain things and yes to other things because we're supposed to. It's because, no, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And this is true in our area of our sex. And so when we look, when we deviate from God's design sexually, we're basically saying, God, I'm going to please myself. I don't have any interest in pleasing you. And God calls us on that. What we need to do is find ourselves desiring to please God. Ephesians 5.10 says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
So sexual purity is pleasing to God because it's evidence of our being sanctified. Pleasing, um, sexual purity pleases God because we're obeying his call to holiness. Sexual purity pleases God because we're embracing his best for our lives. Sexual purity pleases God because we've broken free from a life dominated by our fleshly passions and desires. When, when Paul was talking to them, he says, not like the Gentiles who basically are slaves to their, their desires. You got to know God. And so we have to understand that um, when God says no to you, it means he has a bigger and better yes. Please hear me. When God tells us no, it means he's got a bigger and better yes. We just have to see that through the eyes of faith. And so no to immorality means yes to holiness. No to what you think is good for you is yes to what God knows is good for you. We just can't always see it until we walk in obedience and look back and go, oh, this was so much better for me. It doesn't mean it's not without challenge. It doesn't mean it's not without difficulty. It's just healthier and better. And so living a life that's driven by our own fleshly desires will bring sooner or later discouragement and brokenness and pain. But living a life, especially sexually, driven by the Spirit and being surrendered to God's sanctifying works will bring healing and hope and encouragement. Holiness benefits us as it pleases God. And so there are benefits of doing it God's way. Yes, pun intended, okay? Sexual purity really will be pleasing to us. I mean, there's been numerous studies that give evidence that people who pursue sexual purity before marriage and in marriage are happier. They have healthier relationships. They have healthier marriages. They have less drama in their life. They're better emotionally. They have more emotional health. They have better ability to trust people. They uh, are able to keep commitments better. They experience intimacy better. They have relational stability. They have relational security. They have relational satisfaction. So mentally and emotionally and relationally, God's best, God's design will be more pleasing to you. And spiritually, it'll be more pleasing to you because you'll feel closer to God. You'll have less shame. You'll have more intimacy with God. And so if you go back to that circle diagram, do we really find that what's outside of God's design is truly pleasing to us? Not really. Because even a moment of pleasure outside of the circle will never equate to years of faithfulness that will bring benefit inside the circle. And so we have to understand that's what God calls us to in the area of sexuality. Now, God leads off this teaching with grace-filled, gospel-led, sanctifying invitation to holiness. But that doesn't mean God turns a blind eye to our sexual sin. We can't neglect to look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. These are those kind of verses that we like to just erase in the Bible. You can't dodge these things. Look at verse 6. He says that no one transgresses or wrongs his brother in this matter. What's he saying? That you don't transgress or wrong against somebody sexually. Or that your sexual sin doesn't hurt other people. Why? Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. This is a difficult verse. God is not politely and passively begging us to behave sexually. He's saying, I'm calling you to holiness. I want you to speak holiness fluently. I want you to speak purity fluently in your sex life. And if you don't, and it's causing pain to someone else, now you're going to deal with me. The word avenger, like you need to remove the downtown Cleveland Marvel comic hero Avengers. Uh, the word avenger means punisher. 
It means one who will execute justice. And what happens is we only want to see God as loving, and we forget that God is just. And whether now or through our consequences of our own decisions, or whether in the end, God will reconcile with the unjust. And he's including here those who have hurt others through their sexual behavior. And so we have to remember something. No act of sex is a lone act. Some of you want to debate that right now. Hey, look, when it comes to self-control, when it comes to issues that you do in private, you think that you're not conditioning yourself in such a way that it's not going to hurt someone down the road? And so if we just pick that apart a little bit, like, well, what, what does that apply to? Okay, well, let's talk about pornography. We know it's an epidemic right now, crazy epidemic. Uh, one of Barna's stats from a study called The Porn Phenomenon, they, they found this in their, in their statistical analysis, 4.6 billion hours of pornography were reviewed last year. 4.6 billion hours of pornography, the estimate reviewed last year on one website. On one. That's over 524,000 years of porn. That's not going to have an effect. That's not going to hurt you. That's not going to hurt the person that one day you're going to attach yourself to romantically. That's not going to hurt your kids somehow. Pornography isn't you alone in a room on a device. It has far-reaching consequences, doesn't it? We know. We know the pain that comes with this. Also, 60 to 70% of porn is watched on a mobile phone. Parents, keep that in mind before you just hand those over. And 33% of women under 25 are searching for porn at least once a month. This is not just a man thing, even though it exploits women most. And so viewing pornography doesn't hurt anyone else, right? Wrong. I want you to think about, I want you to think about the hypocrisy of pornography because we are people that have a sense of justice. <clears throat> for example, I, I'm pretty confident a lot of you would be angry if someone were to take nude photos or video of your daughter or of your son or your mom or your sister or someone you love and put them online for other people to see, right? Okay, that would be horrific to you. Yet, we feel the freedom to activate a device and watch someone else's daughter, someone else's mom or sister. Like, it's, it's hurting them. And you know that every single person that's found themselves in that industry has moms or dads or loved ones who are wishing and longing that they weren't. If there was no one clicking, there would be nobody signing up for the industry. And of course, once you become a pornographic consumer, consumerism is supply and demand, right? Once you become a consumer of pornography, you feed an industry that causes great pain to many people. Guess what? We're wronging others. It's not a private act with you and a device in a room. You're contributing to something that's causing greater pain at a greater level. And so we have to run. We have to flee. We have to totally unplug from that. Same thing. Another aspect of hypocrisy with pornography. How many of you, by the show of hands, would say that you are for sexual trafficking? That you think it's a good idea to take girls and steal them and force them into sexual trade? Anybody a big fan? Okay, didn't think so. What feeds the sex trafficking industry? What's the gateway? Pornography. Pornography is the on-ramp to sex trafficking. And so you've got people saying, I'm against sex trafficking, but I'm going to activate myself in an environment that actually feeds the sex trafficking. It's a hypocrisy. And of course, you know, the sex trafficking causes great harm to people. 
And so we have to back up and go, when, when I get sucked in to seeing this stuff, when I get pulled in, when other people are showing it to me, it's doing damage. And you're, th- th- we're not even touching the damage it does to you and how it conditions you in such a way that when you do find someone you want to commit to, it's going to damage them. And so pornography is doing harm. God's an avenger. <laughs> he reconciles with those who hurt others through their sexual sin. How about adultery? You know, you hate to state the obvious, but you know God's heart is angered and grieved by adultery. When you make a vow and then you break that vow, there is a spouse being hurt. There are children being hurt. There's someone else's spouse, someone else's children being hurt. It's their extended family that's being hurt. Adultery is a grenade that goes off and fragments go everywhere. Adultery wounds many people. If you are committing adultery or you are planning on committing adultery, let me just warn you out of love. God will not let you go unscathed from that grenade going off and doing that much damage to children and to people because you are using someone for your own self-gratification. You are opposing God. You're calling him out and saying, do something about it. And whether it's short-term or long-term, he will. We can't think about uh, consequence-free sin in the area of sex. How about cohabitation and hooking up? Acting married when you're not. You're you're hurting yourself and you're hurting other people. All the statistics show with cohabitation, over 50% of the relationships don't make it. They don't get married. They don't stay together which means that you're using that other person for your own gratification, and then when that relationship is exhausted and done, now you've done damage to their future spouse and your future spouse and all those kinds of things. Like, none of this stuff is contained. It does damage. It's ripples in a pond. And so you've got to break that off and have the courage to make a vow. God's an avenger. He, He defends those who are sinned against, and those who sin against others sexually are accountable to God. Whether those consequences come now or later with unrepentant sin. And just as a reminder, we look at verse 8. Like, I'm being serious here. Like, don't look at me. Look at verse 8. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. When you read the Bible and God lays it out there and you ignore it, you're just ignoring God. When someone like myself or another pastor tells you what God says and you ignore it, you're ignoring God. And so I, I want to talk to a couple groups of people as we start to wrap things up here a little bit. One is this. If you've been abused or violated, obviously, everything we're talking about does not apply to you as a victim. You did not do this in your free will. That person sinned against you, and they are opposing the avenger. Your battle now will be try to be healthy and try to let God restore through the power of his spirit his beautiful gift in your life that you can share with someone else. So it doesn't apply to you. Also, those who've messed up sexually in the past, you've committed adultery in the past, you've had premarital sex, remember that if you confess all your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. God is a restorer, amen? He's a rebuilder, he's a renewer. He gives us new life. And so if, if you, that was you, just remember, if you've repented of that and you've turned from that, you can't be hung on that hook of shame from something years ago when you're walking new in Christ. And if you're a spouse of someone, my encouragement to you is don't hold that over them. Like, walk with them in restoration. And by the grace of God, uh, walk in forgiveness. 
as you guys are, turn a page, what a kick in the teeth to the devil and to the flesh and to the world when you restore a relationship that was, was doomed. It's a glorious thing that only God could do. And so sexual holiness pleases God. It also pleases us. So how? How do we do that? Great. What are some practical things that we can do to make sure that we're fighting for purity? Well, one, you can't do it without the Lord. Like at the top of the list of a battle plan is you need Christ. Now, obviously, that's a much bigger talk about understanding your sin, understanding your need for a Savior, and repenting, and maybe today is the first step toward that belief, but we can't have victory without Christ. And so if you don't know Christ, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're not going to win. You need, you need Christ in your life, and the, the one who gives the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that will overcome those temptations. For those of you who know Christ, it's getting back in relationship. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've departed from your relationship with God. It's getting back in relationship with God. You've got to start with your relationship with the Lord. So you've got to get right with God first. Now, other strategy pieces, right? Because failure to plan is planning to fail. Here's some other things we can do. One, you've got to make the decision ahead of time you're going to stay pure. Like just take immorality off the table. Don't have the mindset of, well, we'll just play this out. No, don't do that. Ahead of time, no. Out of, out of my desire to please God, this is the boundary. It's not going to be crossed. I'm not going to let myself or someone else suck me in deceptively to cross that boundary. And so by knowing in advance that this is a goal in your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit to be pure, it takes out the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And so you just got to know in advance. Also, flee tempting situations. You're not being cowardly, you're being wise. When you run from temptation, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You're not just hurting other people, you're hurting yourself. Also, increase your prayer life for sexual purity. Like that's just part of like, God help me, I'm feeling tempted. Or maybe just regular basis, Lord, I want my life to be pleasing to you in all areas. Lord, including this area. Whatever that looks like as a single, as a married person, that's being fed by your desire to please God. Uh, fight with God's word. Scripture memory keeps our heart and our mind aligned with God's plan and God's design. I think today we saw a great memory verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Let's repeat that together. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Let's do it again. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And if you put that on a card, if you have that as an alert on your phone that pops up, if you put that in places where you have temptation, it'll help keep you where you need to be. There's so many other verses, like get God's word in there. Also, invite godly friends who can love you and hold you accountable. People who love you, that love Jesus, but they're going to be bold. People that you can say, hey man, I need you to ask me this question every now and then because this is an area of struggle for me. People that you can text or call or reach out to when you're vulnerable and tempted. You've got to bring some backup in. Also, some of you that are struggling maybe with pornography and things, add filtering and accountability software to your devices. Things like Covenant Eyes or Triple X Church or some of these other devices that cover and help filter things out. Also, if you're married and your marriage is struggling and this is an area where there's weakness, maybe go to a marriage conference or get a good book on sex from a Christian point of view, from a biblical standpoint. Uh, go to counseling or get in a life group where you're talking about healthy marriages or premarital people. Get, get in premarital counseling you know, for those who are engaged. Like, There's a lot of uh, people who can speak into that. Let them mentor you and encourage you and coach you. And so I think the question is, what do you need to stop doing to become more fluent to speak holiness and purity, and more importantly, what do you need to start doing to be more fluent in speaking purity and holiness? You know, we adopted our daughter Faith when she was two from China. All she knew was Cantonese. She didn't know a lick of English. And here she is five years later, fluent English. 
She doesn't even know Cantonese, which, you know, that's a whole other issue. But um, she doesn't even know Cantonese, doesn't even have an accent. She's fluent. Look, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been through, but here's the deal. You can, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speak fluent holiness. You can. You just need to study it. You need to practice it. And you need to surround yourself with others who are trying to do the same thing. Out of a motivation to what? Please God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Oh, Lord, I know this was just a drop in the bucket on a huge topic. Father, I know that this is an area of weakness for all of us in some way, shape, or form. It's an area of pain or frustration or conviction or guilt or, Lord, rebellion. So, Lord, I, I just pray you took this brief time, Lord, that you did a work of healing where healing was needed and conviction where conviction was needed. Father, for those who don't know you as Savior, would you even let this conversation about how we govern our bodies and our minds and our hearts in the area of sex lead them down a path to finding out more about you? Father, for those who know you that are living outside of your design, Lord, would you make, help them make the changes that are needed to stop certain relationships, start, stop certain activities, start certain activities, Lord, to help fight this battle and become more fluent, if you will, Lord, in holiness and purity through sanctification. And Father, I just pray that this is an area we can submit to you and grow to you and uh, be a demonstration to those who don't know you that living inside that circle brings great joy to our lives and hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, we all said together, Amen.